It's finally the festive season. For those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, this means layering on the warm clothes, darker evenings, and a constant desire for a warming cup of soup or hot chocolate to wrap our hands around. For those in the Southern Hemisphere, however, Christmas is the hottest time of the year, and the festive cheer is paired with chilled summer vibes. Many people spend Christmas outdoors, going to the beach for the day, or heading to camping grounds for a longer break. The beach is the coolest place to be on a hot Christmas day. Also, as about 80% of the population live within 50 kilometers of one, why not head there to play with the waves, meet up with friends, drink an ice cold beer, and have a climate appropriate barbecue. And for dessert, it's a dish that has caused quite the debate about its origins, the pavlova. Welcome to the last serving of Seasons Eating Side Dish. Thank you for letting me explore some of the foods that don't get the spotlight on the table. I hope I've talked about some of your holiday favorites. If you want me to do this again, let me know by sending me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. Seasons Eatings is available from your favorite podcast app of choice, so please subscribe so we can have other listeners join us at the Christmas table. Please leave a review for the podcast. It lets me know how I'm doing as well as helping others find the podcast. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker free of charge. Seasons Eatings can also be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of these links can be found on our website, seasonseatingspodcast.com. And if you're feeling extra generous this holiday, you can buy me a coffee. That's K-O-F-I. Just click on the coffee cup on my homepage and you can buy me a coffee for as little as $3. Every donation goes towards the running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. For now, slather on the sunscreen and let's join the party as we explore the history and origins of that pillowy fruit top dessert, the pavlova. The pavlova, or pav, is a meringue dessert with a crisp crust and a soft light inside, usually topped with fruit and whipped cream. The pavlova is named after the famed Russian ballerina Anna Pavlova, who toured Australia and New Zealand in 1926. As the New Zealand story goes, the chef of a Wellington hotel at the time created the billowy dessert in her honor, claiming inspiration from her tutu. Australians, on the other hand, believe the pavlova was invented at a hotel in Perth, and named after the ballerina when one diner declared it to be light as pavlova. Anna Pavlova was a superstar of her day, adored and admired all over the world. As a result, a lot of chefs named their dishes after her. In France, there was frog legs a la pavlova, in America, a pavlova ice cream. Pavlova is made by beating egg whites and sometimes salt to a very stiff consistency, gradually adding castor sugar before folding in vinegar or another acid, such as cream of tartar or lemon juice, adding corn flour, also known as cornstarch, and sometimes vanilla essence, then slow baking the mixture similar to a meringue. Of course, meringues are a European, not an Australasian invention. 
Meringue is an egg substance so light and fragile, but can be shaped in all manner of whimsical forms, and then baked, or more precisely, dried. It is strong enough to hold flavored creams and fruit, such as in pavlovas or vacherin. Desserts made from sweetened egg whites appear in cookbooks dating back to at least the 17th century. Lady Eleanor Fetiplas's 1604 cookbook included a recipe for white biscuit bread that called for one and a half pounds of sugar, a handful of flour, and 12 egg whites. A recipe not unlike that used for meringue today. Older eggs tend to make the best meringues because the whites are thinner, beating up faster and attracting air quickly. Fresh eggs tend to have thicker egg whites that require more beating to achieve the even viscosity of a perfect meringue. Sugar is the key to both sweetness and volume. The sugar pulls the water from the whites as the proteins recombine around the air bubbles. It also helps the beaten egg whites hold their shape and gives the meringue its distinctive look and texture. The meringue emerges golden and crusty from the oven, and as it cools, the scent of the meringue collapses, creating a hollow for berries and cream. There are two camps with regard to the texture of the meringue, those who like it crispy and dry, and those who like a crisp exterior with a marshmallow soft interior. The difference comes in cooking time and temperature. The recipe for white biscuit bread provides an intimate glimpse into the fabric of everyday Elizabethan life, as well as a link to the history of English cooking. To make white biscuit bread, take a pound and a half of sugar, and a handful of fine white flour, the whites of 12 eggs beaten very finely, and a little aniseed bruised. Temper all this together till it be no thicker than pap, make coffins with paper, and put it in the oven after the bread is drawn. Those of you who uh, listened to my mincemeat episode realize that coffins are not actual coffins. They are actually the rectangular vessels, usually for mincemeat pies, to hold a filling. From the cookbook Nouveau Cuisinier Royal et Bourgeois by French chef François Massillot from 1660 to 1733, this cookbook contained a chapter on meringues and macarons. He is credited for the fabulous creation made by baking beaten egg whites blended with sugar. His cookbooks were translated into English, bearing the title The Court and the Country Cook in 1702, which was a reference guide for practicing chefs until the mid-18th century. He was known for his early legendary cookbooks and novel influences on the French cuisine. In the 1800s, thousands of Germans arrived in Wisconsin because of the similarity to Germany in geography and climate to form communities. Wisconsin is known for their Schulmtort, a baked meringue dessert that is a speciality of German origin. The word Schulm is German for foam, so the name translates as foam cake. Various references give the origin of Schrumtorten as German or Austrian. Usually they are made with some type of fruit, like strawberries, but the types vary from fruit recipes to chocolate. We shall come back to the German influence later. A pavlova has a crisp and crunchy outer shell and a soft, moist, marshmallow-like center in contrast to a meringue, which is usually solid throughout. It has been suggested the addition of corn flour is responsible for the marshmallow center, although it's been debated that the corn flour is just another egg white stabilizer in addition to the acid. The consistency also makes a pavlova significantly more fragile than a meringue. 
because pavlova is notorious for deflating if exposed to cold air when cooking is complete it is left in the oven to fully cool down before the oven door is opened pavlova is traditionally decorated with a topping of whipped cream and fresh soft fruit such as kiwi fruit passion fruit and strawberries factory-made pavlovas can be purchased at supermarkets and decorated as desired a commercial product is available that includes pre-mixed ingredients for baking the meringue shell, requiring only the addition of water and sugar. And even on the other side of the world, the first published pavlova recipe had nothing to do with meringue. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, this first mention of a dessert called pavlova appeared in a 1927 cookbook called Davis Dainty Dishes, put out in New Zealand by the Davis Gelatin Company. But that recipe is for a multi-layered jelly, so it does little to settle the debate. New Zealanders, however, claim any pavlova recipe is proof enough that they invented pavlova, and that recipes for the meringue pavlova appeared on their little island soon after. Australians counter that. Even if New Zealanders get credit for the name, an Aussie chef is responsible for inventing the true pavlova we know today, they say. We'll find out about the origins of the pavlova and its connection to a European royal family after the break. Hi everyone, I'm Dwayne from the Tinsel Tunes podcast. And I have a questionably unhealthy obsession with Christmas and I love Christmas music. So come with me on a journey as I go into detail about the history and stories behind a wide range of Christmas music. For instance, did you know that Silent Night has the honour of being the most recorded Christmas song of all time? and has been recorded over 137,000 times by separate artists. Or that White Christmas was actually written in the height of summer. Each song, either recent or a golden oldie, has a background, and I want to share them with you. Come join us for our second season and listen at tinseltunes.com. We are on all the main podcast services, or you can find us with a simple Google search. Also follow us on all the social networking platforms, and I hope to interact with you soon. Hi, this is Scott from Holly Jolly Xmasu, your podcast destination for Japanese Christmas music. If you like Christmas music and are tired of the same old songs, this is the podcast for you. Join me each month as I explore my collection of Yuletide albums from Japan, featuring everything from city pop to 80s rock, long-lost jazz, and psychedelic garage rock. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. It's some of the greatest Christmas music you've never heard. The early history of pavlova can be traced to Australia, where recipes for a similar dish have been found dating back to 1906, although this dish was only called a cream cake and did not yet bear the name pavlova. A 1922 book, Australian Home Cookery by Emily Futter, contained a recipe for meringue with fruit filling. This is the first known recipe for a food entirely resembling the modern pavlova, though not yet known by that name. In this recipe, a large meringue is baked, 
split in two and then filled. Another meringue cake was attributed to Mrs. McRae in a Wellington cookbook called Terrace Tested Recipes in 1927. With three egg whites, eight ounces of sugar, and a dessert spoonful of corn flour, it was baked in two well-greased sandwich tins. Sandwich the two halves together with cream and cherries or strawberries, or serve as a two cakes topped with cream and fruit. It has also been claimed that Chef Bert Sasha created the dish in the Aspelinade Hotel in Perth, Western Australia in 1935. According to Chef Sasha, the dessert was originally created as a tea dessert for the hotel's afternoon teas. According to the Paxson family legend, the pavlova was named at a meeting at which Sasha presented the now familiar cake. The family say that either the licensee, the manager, or the chef remarked, it is as light as pavlova. It was then named Pavlova after the great Russian ballerina, Anna Pavlova, who had been a guest of the hotel during her 1929 tour of Australia. In defense of his claim as inventor of the dish, a relative of Sasha's wrote to Leach suggesting that Sasha may have accidentally dated the recipe incorrectly. Leach replied, they would not find evidence for that because it's just not showing up in the cookbooks until really the 1940s in Australia. However, a recipe for pavlova cake was published in The Advocate in 1935, and a 1937 issue of the Australian Women's Weekly contains a pavlova sweet cake recipe. A 1935 advertisement for a chromium ring used to prevent the dessert collapsing also indicates that the term pavlova cake had some currency in Auckland at the time. But the most recent research by Dr. Andrew Paul Wood and Annabelle Utrecht, a New Zealander and Australian, respectively, suggests that the true pavlova has roots in Germany and America. After a solid two years of digging through old recipes, the duo told the Australian website Good Food they have found somewhere over 150 recipes for meringue-based cakes that look an awful lot like pavlova, all published before Anna Pavlova even arrived down under in 1926. One of the very first pavlova-like recipes Wood and Utrecht found is for a meringue, cream, and fruit tort called a Spanische Vintort, much loved by the Australian Hasbergs of the 18th century. This cake is a meringue shell filled with fruit and cream. It's spectacular and unusual. It's also deceptively light. The meringue is weightless, crunchy, and melts in the mouth, providing the perfect foil for the luxurious whip filling. The sharpness of the fruit is fantastic against the sweetness of the meringue. The Spanish Vintorte is a dessert that became popular during the Baroque period of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. They followed the history of the German-speaking Habsburgs, whose power extended over much of Europe from the 15th to 18th centuries. The Habsburgs had a fixation for all things Spanish, including one of the most stunning cakes, called the Spanish Vintorte. Vinmasa is the Austrian word for meringue. A Spanish Vintorte consists of rings of meringue that have been baked into a cylindrical form with a bottom and a top lid. The piping of the meringue and the subsequent baking process requires patience and careful attention to detail, where the cake will not be symmetrical. When the shell of the torte is done, it is then filled with whipped cream, fresh berries, usually strawberries, chocolate shavings, and or currants. Because whipped cream and meringue dissolve quickly, the torte must be served immediately. Freezing can retain the dessert's consistency, 
but the flavor may be compromised. A cake that is closely tied to Austria's history, Spanish Vintort acts as a beautiful centerpiece for any dinner party. Believed to have truly become a staple of the Austro-Hungarian Empire during the Baroque period, it appears in many 19th century cookbooks and has once been described as the fanciest cake in Vienna. The recipe involves very few ingredients yet is considered a technical challenge that requires a lot of patience. Egg whites and castor sugar are whisked together to create a glistening stable meringue that will be piped onto a baking sheet and act as the layers of the cake. After baking in the oven and waiting for the meringue layers to cool down, the whipped cream is mixed with a large portion of fresh berries and interlaced between the layers. The cake must be served immediately and cannot be cut in a graceful manner, which doesn't take away from the overall aspect but actually improves the consistency as the meringue and berries are blended together. The cake is often served with fruity sparkling wines or a glass of fresh fruit juice on the side. Wood and Utrecht also found similar torte recipes among those brought to America by the German immigrants who settled in the Midwest. Particularly with the invention of the hand-cranked egg beater in the late 1800s, these and other meringue recipes seem to have become hugely popular among American housewives. As German-speaking immigrants moved to America, they brought with them meringue-based desserts called Schramtort and Beisertort, commonly known as a kiss cake. Schramtort, or sometimes Schramentorten, is German in origin. Its name translates to foam cake, an apt description of its meringue base. In Germany, a torte is often referred to as a layered cake made with little or no flour. Prepared with little more than egg whites and sugar, Schramtort is typically baked in a springform pan and topped with cream and fruit. A large proportion of these immigrants settled in the Midwest of America, where Wood and Utrecht became picking up pockets of these recipes. They followed misspellings as well, finding the same desserts with such names as Charm Cake from Schramtort. American cornstarch packages which included recipes for meringue were exported to New Zealand in the 1890s which is where researchers think the Australian recipe may have been picked up. Another common cake in America around the 1940s was forgotten cake. And no, it's not a cake that is left to be forgotten about. It's quite the opposite. Essentially a meringue cake put in the oven at a high temperature and then the oven is turned off and the meringue is left for eight hours. Then something fairly unique happened with one generation, Utrecht says. Rather than putting a fruit filling inside and giving it a cream top, they just made the meringue, put the cream on top, and finished it off with fruit. So if I was to make you one of those, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that and a pav. So while there may be arguments on when the pavlo was truly created or where, it shows that the dish is not just a single act of creation from an enamored chef, but a culinary evolution, which is a process, not an event. The evolution of the pavlova required several transformations, a shift of fruit and cream to the top instead of layer between the meringue, a change in egg white and sugar proportions, and the introduction of corn flour to promote a softer center, and finally the abandonment of a cooking tin to piping the meringue free form on parchment paper. Unlike many of our holiday traditions, the pavlova evolves and changes, incorporating each region's culinary experience and local foodstuffs.
Thank you for listening to another serving of Seasons Eating Side Dish. Seasons Eatings can be found on wherever you download your favorite podcasts. I would love to hear from you. You can contact me at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. You can give me ideas for future episodes, leave me a comment or criticism, or just say hello. Also, if you leave me a five-star review and let me know, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker as a personal thank you. And speaking of sweet treats, head on over to seasonseatingspodcast.com and buy me a coffee. That's K-O-F-I. Just click on the cup at the top of the screen. Any donation is appreciated and helps me with the daily running of the podcast. And thanks again for having another serving of the Seasons Eating Side Dish. All music used in this episode is royalty-free and used under the Creative Commons license.